time it's all we dream big Cause all we take with us is the things we did Dream big, yeah Just dream big, yeah That's what my papa said Dream big, mama told me dream big Cause all we take with us is the things we did Dream big, yeah Just dream big Hello, thank you for joining Toxic to Triumph. I have on a very special guest, a friend of mine. She is a psychiatrist out of Kansas City. Uh, I consider her uh, not only a friend, but one of my, uh, one of my ADHD doctors, um, one, one of the people that encouraged me to go get checked in, um, thankfully, because I now got diagnosed and also um, was prescribed. So while we're on, I might have to get my prescription refilled while I have her on. But I have uh, Sasha Hamdadi, um, also known as uh, the Psych Doctor MD on TikTok and on and on Instagram. Uh, so Sasha, thank you for joining us. And if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and just introduce yourself and let the let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah. Hi, everybody. So I am a board certified psychiatrist and ADHD clinical specialist. I um, was born and raised in Santa Barbara, California. And then after high school, did my medical school training in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I did my residency in Phoenix, and then I came back to Kansas City, where I um, have been practicing in private practice for the past six years. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm just especially drawn to ADHD partially because that has been part of my own personal journey. So I love talking about this. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. And with that being a part of your own personal journey, you know, it's been yeah. my own personal journey. I, I talk about it on, on here frequently. And, and I, you know, one of the things I enjoy about having you on is that you actually became a part of that journey. Because uh, I was I was diagnosed as an adult, but what does what did that journey look like for you, and what does that journey typically look like for other people? I don't know. My story was so weird. So I I was um, I was diagnosed officially in fourth grade after I legitimately started a riot in my classroom. <laughs> I got at the other kids to just stand up on their desks and start yelling at the substitute teacher. So very classic combined type ADHD, just equal parts, you know, inattentive and hyperactive. So it was brought to my parents' attention. My mom was a pediatrician, so was able to get me into my pediatrician where they started me on Ritalin in fourth grade. Uh, so I, for people that cannot see me, I am Pakistani. Mm -hmm. So I, my parents are um, immigrants who came here. And so culturally, I think that background, um, not super open about mental health and just, you know, it, you know, my parents are both very well educated, but we're very concerned about the stigma behind mm -hmm. ADHD. So they never told me that that's what I was diagnosed with and told me I was taking a vitamin. So that continued. Um, I did really well. Um, you know, I think that I started to really enjoy school. It became part of my identity, move forward. And then out of high school, I knew I wanted to do medicine and I got into medical school right out of high school. So I, I went to medical school, but that was the first time I was away from home and I <laughs> was in charge of taking all my vitamins and doing and, and taking care of myself. And like my, I went from being one of the top achievers in my high school to quite literally being second from the bottom. And I, I like, I, I just assumed I had a stroke. I was so 
awful and discombobulated. And I just didn't want to go on. And my parents were like, well, are you taking your vitamin? And I was like, obviously not. Uh (laughs) And then they were like, okay, well, it's actually Ritalin and you need it. So then, then my journey kind of as my, you know, frontal lobe was forming and I started to become more aware. I, I think that's pretty much where my journey started because I felt very betrayed by that. I felt like I didn't actually have ADHD. I fought against the diagnosis for a long time. And I tried really hard in medical school, the beginning part of medical school, um, to just kind of function on my own. And I found it just infinitely harder than my peers to get stuff done. Whereas in high school, this never was a problem. So then I went to physicians there, tried numerous, numerous, numerous different medications. And, you know, I felt like I had a really rough go with them because some of them I I couldn't eat properly. Some of them I wasn't sleeping. Some of them I would get really anxious. And finally, I landed on Vyvanse. I continued that. Um, I I kind of once I got into clinicals and I was doing more hands on stuff, I started to do really well. And then um, but that's part of what kind of steered me into psychiatry. Yeah. Um, you're, it's funny because um, that story that you told about you in fourth grade, I did the exact same thing in fifth grade. <laughs> Literally, we had a substitute and I jumped on all the desks and um, everyone. But for me, I don't know why, like, you know, my parents weren't contacted. Everyone just thought that I was being funny. They just thought I was being a class clown and thought it was great, you know, mm-hmm. so um so similar situation, but very different story. But with that being said, um, for me, uh, I, so a lot of ADHD, I'm still kind of learning because I wasn't diagnosed until I was an adult. But from what I understand, there's what's called masking, a masking behavior where mm-hmm. you're able to kind of cover it up a bit, uh, where I've kind of, when I was young, I kind of learned that I can't jump on tables, I'll get in trouble. So that turned into me bouncing my leg underneath the table and always fidgeting, can't, you know, can't sit still, always needing to go to the restroom because I can't, I felt so uncomfortable sitting in my seat. Uh, what, what are some common masking behaviors um, when, that you typically see in people, whether they it be children or with adults? One of the things about ADHD is it's it's not something that typically resolves in adulthood. And, and a couple of outcomes can happen. So if you have ADHD as a child, sometimes what happens is that symptoms get better, but don't completely resolve. So they don't impact your life as much. Or maybe you move out of a setting like um, structured academic learning and you go into a field where, you know, you can really kind of, you know, freestyle your way into things and it's not as limiting. Secondly, you can have ADHD. And then what happens is that you just get really good at building habits to hide it, which is that masking stuff you've talked about. So you just get to a spot where you're like, okay, I recognize that this, this isn't going to work for me. So instead of dealing with kind of the emotional ups and downs, which happens, I'm just going to pretend to be happy all the time, or I'm going to just really focus on my wardrobe and physical appearance. So it looks like I'm put together, even though internally I'm a disaster. Right. Or, you know, you will just kind of focus super heavily on hobbies to distract from other things. Mm-hmm. And and then another outcome that can happen is that your ADHD is just as limiting as it is in, in childhood. But then as you go through, it's, 
you know, people aren't looking for ADHD because maybe you weren't diagnosed or maybe, maybe it's not as readily apparent and they're ready to diagnose you with something else. So you're being treated for a mood disorder, you're being treated for anxiety, or you're being treated for something else. And really the underlying symptoms are being addressed. Mm-hmm. And what about, what about with adults when someone who is more like myself, who you, you didn't get diagnosed as a child and you're now in your thirties going into your forties um, you know, what, you know, for someone who's listening to this, who may have suspected that they have had ADHD this entire time or question mm-hmm. whether or not they do it, what, what are some symptoms that, that are common with adults versus children? So with, I feel like the thing, the arc that ADHD kind of takes is that with, with kids, they have less of a filter in terms of the hyperactivity stuff. Maybe you're still seeing a lot of the inattentive stuff, but the hyperactivity in terms of the verbal impulsivity or the physical impulsivity constantly needing to touch or interact or or fiddle with things, that stuff kind of doesn't necessarily go away, but morphs into a more socially acceptable form. And so maybe now you're you're not the person who's just kind of touching all your peers and getting into stuff and doing things like that. And instead, you know, you're, you're doing things, you know, with your hands, your job is just very hand and manual focused, or you are, you know, fiddling with something like with your keys, when you're talking or with your headphones or things like that. And with verbal impulsivity, you know, maybe you've gotten just better at reading cues, or you're like, you know what, I know that I'm going to interrupt. So I'm not going to talk at all. So adults kind of build things around that. Um, So that's what kind of changes moving forward. One of the things that opened my eyes, um, I don't remember if it was your video or Kojo's or whose it was. Yeah. Um, And for those of you who are, uh, who are not familiar with Dr. Kojo, I encourage you guys to follow him. And he was also on the podcast as well. Uh, And him and I talked about, um, one of the things that opened my eyes was I, I was watching someone and it literally described me in detail where, you know, I, I worked all these corporate jobs and, and the ones that were in sales, I was good at, right. I was good at presentations, yeah. good at those things, absolutely terrible with the paperwork, right. With anything that, that would have that needed detail that needed, um, you know, needed to close attention. Like if I had, if my attention was on that day, of course I could get it done, but if it was off, yeah, that's not getting done right? Mm -hmm. Meeting, missing deadlines. But also, I've worked a shit ton of jobs, a lot of jobs, Mm -hmm. right? We'd go into certain jobs, um, start out really great, get frustrated at, you know, at people always, what I felt like was micromanaging, things like that. And I felt like the only thing that would solve that was for me to work for myself, right? For me to create my own rules, for me to create my own atmosphere, Right. And from and I didn't understand, I didn't realize that that was that's something that's very common with people with ADHD to create their own atmosphere, to work their own job, to become an entrepreneur, to basically create an atmosphere that was more comfortable for them. Um, Do do you see that often? Is that is I should ask, is that what you did with going into private practice? That's what I did. That's what I did. I mean, I don't have to. I mean, don't tell my partner this, but like, I really don't have to modify my behavior at all because <laughs> I'm kind of doing my own thing. I'm seeing my own patients. I build my own client list. I, you know, I, I pick how long we can see patients and do things like that. 
um, you know, and with insurance limitations and things like that. But it's, it is, I, I don't think I could do a position where I would be an employee. I think, I think I, historically I've just had a really hard time with just small things. Like, just like what you were saying, things that required prolonged focus and doing things like, that's why I'm not in an academic center. I really love teaching. I don't like doing research. Don't like it. It doesn't, it doesn't interest me. And so it's hard to keep engaged. Um, and so I, I think that that is really common for people with ADHD, that they build their own environment or, or within the environment that they are, they kind of find their own accommodations to make it a habitable place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what about, how does that relate to relationships as a whole? Because relationships, you do need to be pretty structured. You do need to be somewhat disciplined. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can certainly talk about from a, uh, from a toxic and a narcissistic standpoint, what that looks like, but what, do, what does ADH look like with relationships as a whole? So, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic because it depends on you, you have to look at it from all different sides. You look at um, like within the context of a romantic relationship, if one partner has ADHD versus if um, both partners have ADHD, it's a very different situation. I think some of the things that you look at is the lens that you're looking through a relationship is very different from the person who has ADHD looking at the relationship versus the person who doesn't. So the person who does not have ADHD that's looking in the context of the relationship might think that the ADHD person is thoughtless or that they are neglecting them or that they are prioritizing other things. Whereas the ADHD person quite literally is overstimulated and like is trying to do things to manage their own focus and attention. And honestly, that doesn't even cross their mind. Um, and so there's, um, you know, that, that can be really difficult because you're, you're working with two fundamentally different viewpoints that oftentimes are really paradoxical. You, you see them on different ends of the spectrum and, and it's hard to, you know, one side thinks they're hundred percent right. And the other side thinks they're hundred percent right. So sometimes it's hard to find that middle ground. Yeah. And, uh, I, I tell people that it's important to, once you do find out, once you do figure out that you have uh, ADHD, if, if that's the case, you know, now you're able to be more forthcoming with the, with your potential partner or with your partner, right? And yeah. start setting boundaries with, with people, just like you were talking about with that overstimulation. Uh, speaking personally, I remember I was on a date one time and I felt that way, felt overstimulated where before when I didn't realize I had a, a ADHD, I would have sat there and I would have masked and I would have pretended like nothing was bothering me, even though I was zoning out wasn't paying attention to her whatsoever because there were so many people in there. It was mm-hmm. overwhelming. There was music. It was too loud. Like everything was taking my focus. And uh, even though I was trying really hard to engage, like it was, I was having trouble. Um, but after, you know, I was diagnosed, I was able to like, you know, I, I just flat out said, Hey, you know, this is, this place is kind of, uh, I forgot exactly how I worded it, but it's kind of a bit much for me. Can we, you know, can we go next door where it's a little bit more quiet? I can, I can focus. Right. And that now, turns into like a healthy response, a healthy, a healthy boundary, rather than someone who's zoning out and not paying attention. And like you said, feeling like they're neglected, right? And so it can, it can potentially have a very big impact, even on healthy relationships. 
Um, and I think I would love to hear something like that. Like uh, someone is showing me that they're trying to make a b- effort to listen to what I'm saying and they want to modify the environment so they can optimize that. I would love that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, but I think it takes a certain, like what you have to acknowledge that this is a weakness of yours, right? Understand that's, this is, this is for me personally. And I'm for people who do go along this journey, I tell them that this is a part of the reason why it's important for you to figure this part of it out because you mm-hmm. need to be, be able to uh, speak to some of your weaknesses. I tell people straight up, I'm unorganized, right? So mm-hmm. don't email me asking me about your appointments, go through my assistant because mm-hmm. you may or may not get an email, may not may or may not get a response back from me. It's not because I don't like you, but because this is just a part of who I am. I'm just not, not very organized. Right. And you might get you might get an email from me, but it might be three months after your appointment. So um, so understand. But you built a system around that with an assistant. Exactly. Exactly. What about, um, you know, with toxic and narcissistic relationships, obviously gaslighting and lying and manipulation is a big part of it. How what does what does ADHD look like in those type of situations? Because because there's a lot of links with victims of abuse and uh, people who struggle with ADHD. Uh, Number one, is there any reason why? But but also, um, why are people with ADHD easier to manipulate and gaslight? Yeah, that's such a good question. So, I mean, I think it all boils down to neurochemistry, right? So the underlying, not concern, but neurobiological premise of ADHD is that there's an aberrant dopamine problem. So uh, people with ADHD just don't have enough dopamine floating around enough or properly utilized dopamine floating around in that cleft. So what I'm talking about with dopamine is that is the neurochemical in charge of so many different things in charge of focus, in charge of happiness, in charge of stimulation. And so what, what are our brains do for ADHD is that we seek that out. And generally we're looking for stimulation because we want that dopamine surge to happen. Mm-hmm. So in relationships, some of the biggest things that cause these dopamine surges is, is falling in love and fighting. <laughs> so fighting and making up that kind of intimacy that you get from those two kind of polar opposites they give you huge dopaminergic surges, huge, huge, huge. And so what within relationships, if you get into these kind of toxic patterns where you're constantly doing that, well, your brain is being stimulated. So you're like, okay, it's not boring. I mean, I'm getting stuff out of it. I'm having a lot of lows, but when I have those highs, they're so good. Mm -hmm. And so people stick around and that's what makes them susceptible to this kind of thing. Um, The other reason is that they, they can sometimes recognize within themselves, like, you know, I am just like you were talking about, I'm disorganized. I'm having a hard time kind of trusting my own mm-hmm. brain. So when people are like, that's not what I said, maybe it is exactly what they said, but they're causing you to doubt, doubt yourself. And so a lot of times they can pin that on the ADHD. Like you just weren't paying attention. No, you were paying attention. They're just gaslighting you. Right. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and these are type of, these are things that, um, people who are manipulative, people who are toxic, these are the type of things that they seek out right from the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're having, if you're listening and if you feel like you are someone who uh, has been a part of this or 
you've you these ADHD symptoms describe you and you've also been a part of a toxic relationship might be worth getting checked. What, what, what does that look like in terms of finding providers to, um, to talk about these symptoms and to see if this is, because uh, when I, I know when I did it as an adult, it was, it was difficult. It's a, it's a journey. You know, there's not a lot of providers. I didn't find this out until I did it. Um, there's not a lot of providers that will work with adults. Um, there's not a lot of providers, some that just won't do it in it at all, you know, and from mm-hmm. what I understand when I talk to uh, Kojo, he said that some just don't like prescribing medication, right? Because yeah. stigma and that, and that sort of thing. So what does someone have to do to find the right provider to go through that process? And what does that process look like? So first of all, I, I'm like, that's something that I'm personally very upset about because I think as a culture, we've built this, this, you know, this whole racket that we want patients to advocate for themselves but then we don't have the clinical avenues that they can go and find a way to advocate for themselves. And if they finally do have the courage to do that, then a lot of times they get shut down or they are made to feel like they're drug seeking when it's like, no, you you know, people know their brains. Well, they, they know what's going on. And sometimes maybe they don't have the medical lingo to explain it, Mm -hmm. but they're indicating that there's an underlying issue and it needs to be taken seriously. So what, so there are a lot of different ways to, um, go about seeking out care. And again, I completely recognize that accessibility is a huge problem, right? Um, if you have insurance, sometimes what I tell people is to call the insurance, ask who is covered. If you have your kind of pick of the litter, typically I tell people to go to a psychiatrist. And the only reason I'm saying that is threefold. One, a psychiatrist has gone through medical school so they can see if there's any underlying medical problem that looks like ADHD or something else. So is it a thyroid problem? Is it, you know, an underlying chemical deficiency from like anemia? Is it an autoimmune thing? Then they also have that training, psychological training. So they, you know, they've gone through therapeutic courses so they can kind of address things from that, or at least refer out to an appropriate source. Mm-hmm. And then they have the psychiatric training. So we, you know, as a psychiatrist, you have received the most in-depth, you know, because like with other specialties, with family medicine and things like that, they they have knowledge about these things. But with psychiatry, it's just four years of only psychiatric medication. So they have kind of the deepest well of knowledge in terms of medication side effects or what specifically, so that they can potentially give you one, the most comprehensive diagnosis and two, they can actually treat you, which is really nice because sometimes you go to a place and you get a diagnosis and you're like, yes, this really fits me, but then you have to go somewhere else to treat it. And they might feel completely opposite. One one of the things that happened to me when once I was diagnosed and I hear this happening to people quite often is um, people almost describe ADHD as as like it's a positive thing, you know. When I kind mm-hmm. of announced it on uh, social media and started to you know I was talking about and just very open about my journey, um, yeah. people were like, oh wow, you have superpowers and this and that and you you know that means this and um, I understand that there's uh, that there are some benefits to having ADHD or let me rephrase um, what are I should ask instead of just saying that there are benefits what are what are some what are, what's the upside to having ADHD I mean <laughs> like okay I get I like I get the theory and I get the the positive mindset and how important that is mm-hmm. like 
hundred times out of a hundred times, if you ask an ADHD person, would you like to have ADHD or would you rather not have it? They're going to be like, I would rather not have it. (laughs) Like, I don't think I know anyone who's like, no, I I want to keep my ADHD. Maybe there's some, some facets of that, that they like, like maybe when they deal with these spurts of hyper-focus, they can get really engaged in something or that they might have heightened creativity. But in general, I feel like, you know, it's, it's something that you need to adapt around and it's not necessarily this overwhelming positive, which is, I mean, it's not necessarily like, that's not, it's not destined. It's it's not something that's like, this is going to impact your life indefinitely with with appropriate management you can get to a really healthy happy baseline Mm -hmm. but it's not something to delude yourself into like this is a positive and if you think it's a positive if you think enough and believe enough that it's a positive you shouldn't have to medicate or treat it like no right and uh you know so and then the flip side of that is there's a lot of downside like burnout i mean a lot of people don't realize uh can you talk a little bit about adhd burnout yes because that's what I was experiencing yeah. yesterday. <laughs> I did too, actually. I I know. I literally I couldn't move. I don't know what it was. I, I like. I, I was like. I, I literally cannot move, right? Yeah. And people. I don't think that people talk about that enough. And I, I wish people were more aware about it, right? And I think yeah. that that was another thing that when I heard about it was uh, was like that describes me. Was like I literally cannot move. Right. And yeah. you know, I'd slept the night before. I was like, I, I can't, I just can't. But um, I'll let, I'll turn that over to you. Tell, tell us a little bit more about ADHD burnout. So for me, or not even for me, like when, when we're, so ADHD burnout, it's not a diagnostic term. It's not part of the DSM. It's not, but it's, it's a situation that is commonly seen in ADHD, whereas people, and, and it's not even necessarily related to like a sequelae of overstimulation. It could just kind of happen out of nowhere where all of a sudden you wake up and it's like your brain doesn't work. It's, you know, your executive function is out the window. You cannot initiate tasks. You can't complete tasks. Everything seems kind of overwhelming. Uh-huh. Um, the way that it manifested yesterday for me is like, you know, when I get into these spurts, like with the TikTok or Instagram, where I get really interested in trying to provide content and media and educate that that's really entertaining and fun. And it's, it stimulates me. And so I really enjoy putting that out. But then yesterday I woke up and it's like my brain, what there's, I actually made a video about that. And I was too tired and fatigued to even put it out because I, I just, felt like, what is the point of this? I don't really see who this is helping or what this is doing. I don't, I'm tired. I don't want to keep doing this. Like if I put another video out, what do I, am I just going to have to do another one tomorrow? Am I sewing myself into this? And it, I think it's, I think it's something that the ADHD brain and the linkage between that emotional center of the brain and that rational frontal lobe Mm-hmm. is weak in ADHD. So what happens is what, or at least what I would theorize is happening is that when that emotional cortex gets overstimulated or when you are, and you're dealing with, you know, fatigue and when you're dealing with just kind of reaching that point where you're like, I cannot use these parts of my brain anymore. It, because that connection is weak, your frontal lobe isn't talking about like, that's ridiculous. Just take a break and you'll be fine. Instead, it seems like this insidious thing that's going to last forever. 
Mm-hmm. And then you just, I mean, you can't caffeinate your way out of it. It's tough. No, nope, I tried. It didn't work. <laughs> you know, nothing was working. I was just like, I just laid down on the couch and just let it, let it pass. There's literally you just no- got to take a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I know we got to close out, but I do have, I want to ask, um, number one, um, are people with ADHD capable of being in a healthy relationship? Yes. Oh yeah. So I I'll tell you from personal experience that I think that in my early life, I think it was hard for me to look for what was appropriate because my, my, again, what we're talking about, my lens was very skewed. Mm -hmm. I wanted someone who was going to be match my level of adventure and fun and constantly stimulate, but that's not necessarily what I needed in a spouse. I needed someone who was going to understand what I was going through. And instead of kind of upping the ante, be like, okay, let's work from this place and figure out why you're kind of overly spun up and then do something productive with that instead of "Mm, let's skip school and go skydiving. Like that's, I don't need that. (laughs) So I think you just need, so some of the things is when people, especially, you know, with ADHD, there's some delayed maturation that happens. And so you get this concept of late bloomers. Mm-hmm. And so those people, you know, maybe they don't date a whole lot in their early life, um, or maybe when they do date, they're just dating. And uh, to some degree, this happens with everybody, but they're dating wildly inappropriate mm-hmm. people. Yeah. I think learning to recognize within yourself, like this is who I am, and mm-hmm. this is what's going to be healthy for me to look for. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's what is going to be that that's what that that's what helps you thrive in a relationship because there's so much that you can bring but it needs to be in the context of a healthy environment not someone who's going to continue to encourage the more destructive parts of your ADHD absolutely that being said uh, I'm going to turn it over to you for any closing thoughts that you might have on ADHD or just life in general just um, you know maybe words of advice or Um, someone who might be going through this might might have it. Um, What are some closing thoughts that you might have? No, honestly, I think that one of the things is, especially with this huge resurgence or not resurgence, like this emergence of knowledge about ADHD and people educating themselves more on social media and things like that. A lot of people are go down the road where they're, they start get, it's kind of the opposite problem. They're scared that they've deluded themselves into having ADHD. Like maybe like everybody says that they have ADHD. Maybe I don't actually have it. And they start to doubt themselves. Or what I hear a lot is maybe I'm just lazy. Uh What I would encourage people to do is that even if you're concerned about like, am I self-diagnosing myself or am I lazy, which I like for what it's worth, I don't think that's a thing. But like, if, if you have concerns, what I would say is just go get evaluated. I mean, there isn't, I mean, if it's accessible to you, which I get isn't for a lot of people, but if it is, I mean, then you'll know, then you'll have a medical professional lay eyes on you and be like, okay, I think that there is something to it or no, but maybe this is what's going on. And they'll just give you a lot of clarity and help you in your journey forward because knowledge is power. That's what we need. Yeah, Absolutely. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Sasha Hamdadi, and thank you very much. I will probably mm-hmm. see you later on, on TikTok anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, I appreciate you for hopping on and right. uh, we'll have to do this again some other time. I would love 
too. Thank you, Matt. Yep, thank you. Uh huh. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show me where you can fly. Show me where you can fly. Show me where you can fly. Dream big. Keep your head to the sky. Spread your wings wide. Show me where you can fly. Show me where you can fly. Show me where you can fly. Tell me, dream big, it's all we take with us, the things we did. Dream big, yeah, just dream big, yeah, that's what my nana said. Dream big, what we tell me, dream big, it's all we take with us, the things we did.